I'm going to be reading uh, this morning from Luke uh, chapter 20. I'm going to be starting at verse 45, and I'm going to be reading through uh, chapter 21, verse 4, as we continue our series here uh, called Jesus for Everyone. Um, And this morning, I get to talk about hypocrites. (laughs) Yay! Um, Luke chapter 20, looking at verse 45. And in the hearing of all the people, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, and the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in, put in all she had to live on. Again, this morning, I get to talk about Jesus interacting with hypocrites, and honestly, it's not a subject that I'm thrilled to cover. Um, It wasn't in studying this week that I was like, yes, I get to talk, I get to get in front of the church and talk about hypocrisy. I I have actually this really distinct memory in my mind of going to our local parish as as a child on Ash Wednesday, um, and it was packed. On, on that Wednesday night, and so the only service that we could get into was the Spanish-speaking service. And I don't speak Spanish, um, but we, it, again, it was a packed room, and we were just kind of standing in the back, and, and my mom, as I'm looking at her, has, has this look of, of frustration and disappointment that comes across her, and she, I mean, I have no idea what's happening in the service, and I just remember her looking over and saying, He's, he's uh, yelling at us because we don't come to church any other day except for this day. <laughs> and just remember, like, that was my distinct memory of, of going to church, is, is that the message was about, like, you hypocrites, you don't come to church enough. <laughs> my hope is not to preach that message <laughs> this morning. But I wanted to start... Um, by talking about this shirt. I've got this shirt that says Live Generously on it. I got this shirt um, because uh, Larson and I's um, life insurance company, they're a Christian company uh, called Thrivent, and they, they give funds to their members uh, twice a year to go out and to do, to do acts of generosity within their neighborhoods and their communities. And we, we really enjoy uh, this company and appreciate them. And they also give you free shirts um, as you go out and do those projects together. But can I tell you that I make it a point to not wear this shirt in public? <laughs> it's become a workout shirt for me. Um, and, and the reason is, is I got to be honest, is that there are times where I, where I have this shirt on and like, I'm, I'm a bit busy in the day. And it's like, oh, I just, all I want to do is I just, I want to go into Home Depot. I want to grab what I need. And then I just want to leave. 
and then there's someone there standing at the door. It's a nonprofit that's raising funds for, for hungry kids or, or, you know, dogs that don't have homes, and I have this shirt that just says, live generously on it. And I was just thinking, I don't want to talk to you right now. I just want to get in there and get out. But just blazing across my chest is this belief that I do hold that a life should be lived with generosity. Throughout the pandemic, um, a, a habit that Lurus and I have, have picked up is, is our date nights a lot of times look like getting the boys down uh, to, to bed and then me going to a restaurant picking up food and then bringing it home and us sitting down together and having a, a date night there together. And I'll tell you that if I'm wearing this shirt, I do evaluate how generous do I want my tip to be for a to-go order? <laughs> right? Like, I don't know if you guys evaluate that. It's like, a to-go order is like, usually, I don't know, maybe I'll throw in a couple, of, like, $3, because you're just packing the food and I'm leaving. Like, I don't tip the Chick-fil-A worker. When, but then I'm wearing this shirt, and I just think, do I want to spend extra money, or do I want to change my shirt? and I changed my shirt. I, I, here's the reality, I don't want to go around in public having a belief written across my chest that says one thing, yet not actively living a life that demonstrates that belief. And, and I continually want it to be the case that I don't need to be wearing a shirt that forces me to think about living out that belief. That more and more I want to be in a space where every area of my life lines up with the beliefs that I hold. And that's the ongoing work that Jesus is doing in our lives. I, I, think, about, I think about Buddy the Elf. I, I think about Buddy the Elf absolutely ecstatic because what he knows is Santa is coming. And, and, and he goes in that morning that he knows Santa's going to be there thrilled because he's going to interact with his buddy Santa. And, and as he gets into that department store, as he gets closer and closer to Santa, he looks up at him and he thinks, that is not Santa. And it's an incredible scene in the movie Elf where he gets closer to him and he leans into him, leans near Santa, and he says, you disgust me. <laughs> you sit on a throne of lies. You smell like beef and cheese. And then he pulls off his beard and he holds the beard in the air and he yells, he's fake! It's not Santa! Well, Buddy the Elf knows right there, he gives a warning to all of the kids, this Santa is just surface level. Though he's wearing the clothes of Santa, beware of this Santa, because this Santa is not Santa at the core. He's an imposter. 
Well, you'll notice right at the front end of this passage here, it, it says in verse 45 of chapter 20, says, and, in hearing, and in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples. Well, what is Jesus doing here? The disciples are going to be the people that are going to be leading a new movement in the world. The disciples that Jesus is speaking to are going to be a people that are going to be on the forefront of God's kingdom advancing in this world. And surface-level acts of spirituality are not going to cut it as this new movement begins. Shows of piety, empty demonstrations of religiosity, that is not what is going to advance this movement in the world. And what Jesus knows about this community of people that he is going to be launching is that part of the way about them is going to be the way of suffering. Jesus knows that this new movement that is being launched in the world is going to be launched through the cross. That that's where God's glory is going to be seen. And, and, and this community of his followers, his disciples, his apprentices, He tells them, I tell you, you're going to face trials. You're going to face sorrows. You're going to face persecutions. Like you're, you're, there's going to be suffering amongst you. So if he's going to form this movement that is going to be so marked by sacrificial love, then, then surface-level acts of worship are not going to sustain them. They'll fade as a new movement. They will fade as, as this new way in the world. If, if it isn't about the, something that's happening within their inner lives. Jesus is uniquely confrontational when it comes to hypocrisy. You look over the pages of the gospel narratives, you will see that what Jesus constantly calls out and warns his disciples over is hypocrisy. Jesus warns the disciples to be wary of this religious group of leaders whose piety and expressions of worship are all centered around people. And you'll notice what he says here in this, in this section. He says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and they love greetings in the marketplaces. That, that, their, that their worship, that their their." their acts of spirituality that they flow not out of a love and devotion for God, but there's something that has captured their heart. There's a gravitational force that's at work in their lives, and it's the celebration and love of others. But, but can we sympathize with these religious leaders for a moment? 
Can we look over this list and just realize, ooh, I could be found as one amongst them? I mean, you look at it and it says, who doesn't like these things? Like, they like to walk around in long robes. Like, who doesn't like having a nice shirt on and someone saying, hey, that's a great shirt? And it's not, don't walk over, hey, if someone tells you like this today, hey, I really like your shirt, that all of a sudden you feel like you're sinning. That's not the point that I'm trying to get across here. But the next time they go into their closet and consider what they're wearing before they go to the synagogue and the motivation behind what they're wearing, They love the best seats, or they love the greetings in the marketplaces. I, who amongst us hasn't walked around Ralph's and is recognized by someone in our church community and is greeted by them and just have not thought, like, that feels really good. I, like, I, I ran into Tony at Costco, and we both lit up when we saw each other. It was like, hey, this is great. I really like seeing you here right now, right? Like, there's just this just genuine love and affection that, that was there. But there's something that overtook their hearts where suddenly that, that love, that, that joy, that, that delight now, now became what they rotated around. The best seats in the synagogues, who doesn't come early to make sure that they get the back seat in the church? the places of honor at feasts. I, I like going to a party and it being for me. This one, who devour widows' houses, that scholars and theologians, as, as they look at this passage, think that what was taking place is, is that they got widows to give sacrificially. I like to see the offering plate full. And for a pretense, they make long prayers. I look at this, and, and, and what captures my heart is that this is church leaders who look good, are enjoyed by the people, see sacrificial giving happening, and give great prayers. You can build a thriving ministry off of this. And, and Jesus looks at it, and he tells the disciples, beware, because success, or the look of success, could take over the heart of the church. but it's about the heart. It's about what's happening on the interior. And, and I think what, what the challenge that I, that I see here is I want to use the language of attachment. 
What, what I see taking place here in the hearts of the religious leaders is that their attachment is off. And by that I mean, by that I mean that, the, that they loved the reception of people and that was a more powerful force than their attachment to God. I want to bring these quotes up from, from Jim Wilder. And, and here's the list of quotes that he has in, in his book called Renovated. He says, the only kind of love that helps the brain learn better character is attachment love. The brain functions that determine our character are most profoundly shaped by who we love. Changing character as far as the brain is concerned means attaching in new and better ways. In the human brain, identity and character are formed by who we love. Western Christianity has long taught that we are changed by what we believe and what we choose. That is by the human will responding to God. And then he observed at one point in, in his own life that my reactions became more like the people in my identity group and conflicted with my beliefs. The, the common reflection is we become like what we behold. And, and our following God needs to be based on this ongoing, developing, secure attachment to God. That we love him that we delight in him, that we are secure in him, that we trust him. Because the reality is a lot of times we form discipleship by thinking that if I can get you more information, then you are going to be a changed person. A lot of times that is how we do discipleship in the church. And a lot of times that's how we try to raise up, especially the youth and the kids, is that if we can get the youth to have all of these arguments for why their faith is legitimate, then they will not walk away when they get into the university. And listen, that is not me saying that, that Bible study is unimportant. <laughs> that is not me saying that a love for scripture isn't something that we should celebrate and long after. But even when you look at the phrases within, especially like Psalm 119, it is, in your law, I delight. I, I love it. I enjoy it. And it, what's being communicated there is this attachment to God. And the imagery, if you want like, a little help of what does attachment and love look like, it's, it's, that, it's that healthy, loving gaze that you will see on an infant or a baby as they look up at their mom. That's attachment. There's a healthy attachment that's taking place. 
And to be a follower of Christ is this space where all of a sudden what we start doing is, is we let go of, other, of all these other attachments that those don't have as much power in our lives as this new attachment that we have to Jesus. Because what Jesus highlights here for the religious leaders is they loved. They loved the praises of people. And that is an extremely strong gravitational force in our lives. And what we have to acknowledge is, is, is what has taken place so often amongst the church is that we have started forming and gathering together based on affinity groups and common likes. It's our attachment to these other identities so that all of a sudden we can hold these beliefs but act in a completely different way because even though we, we attest to these beliefs, our attachments are off. And we will begin to change our beliefs in order to stay holding on to the identity groups and affinity groups that we connect with. Beware of that. We need a new attachment. Our formation, our discipleship, our Christ-likeness will happen through our attachment to God. When you look back over here at the end of Luke 20 and the start of Luke 21, what you notice here is that Jesus has this incredible ability to see what is beyond human sight. He knew the motives of both groups here. He, he sees what we love. And from our vantage point, we can't discern what's happening in the hearts of the religious leaders. And we can't discern how much of her life the widow has given. And in both of these scenarios, Jesus is able to see the hidden place of our lives. And that's what he asks us to pay attention to. That's what he asks us to stop and to acknowledge and, 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 and to understand what is having a force in our lives. It is what is happening under the surface. Listen to this in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus, again, is talking about the subject of hypocrisy. This is in the meantime, it's starting at verse 1, so many thousands of people had gathered together and they were trampling on one another. He began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And Jesus, again, speaks to his disciples Beware about what's happening on the interior of your life. Because eventually, 
what is on the inside will be seen. Eventually, what is hidden will be brought out into the light. And it is for Jesus this incredibly urgent warning that he continues to give to his followers. Be mindful what's happening in that hidden space. Be mindful of what's happening where no one else can see or discern. Luke chapter 20 and 21, the Pharisees have a lot to display. They have a lot of pious expression. They have a lot of deeds. They have a lot of resources. They have a lot of wealth. They have a lot to show. But the Lord is able to see what we cannot while we see all of the outward expressions, while we see all the grand displays of religion and power and resources, Jesus sees what is lacking. Friends, guard your hearts, for out of it flows the wellspring of life. It's this, for me, this incredible point of encouragement to us. Our transformation happens at the relational level. Transformation happens in the place that our hearts belong to. And so that's why the widow is then highlighted for us. She's contrasted with the rich people. The rich people in this story give a lot but the truth is they can afford to give a lot before the level of their giving actually reaches their hearts. Sure, they could put a ton in the plate, but how much of themselves did they give to the Lord? She places this tiny monetary amount, but what percentage of her heart was attached to this offering? And what does she model for us? Life with Christ. Life with Christ. All of her is in that offering plate. What she demonstrates to us is that her attachment is to God. And everything that she does, this offering here, right? Jesus' words are, she put in more. Because what Jesus is looking at is the interior of her life. How much of their heart did the religious leaders put, put in that offering plate? Nothing. It was all on the surface. But how much of her heart was attached to that offering plate? She put in more. She put in more. If the religious leaders were all show and no heart, then this widow is all heart and no show. And that's what God acknowledged. That's what God saw. She didn't, what we see here demonstrated in this widow's life is that if no one else was looking, if no one else celebrated it, if no one else knew about it, if she was never brought on stage over it, it didn't matter because her attachment was to Jesus. 
Listen to this from, and it'll come up on the screen. Um, it's from, from the book of Luke, I mean, the book of John, uh, chapter 14, verse 23. It says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in, or make our home with him. That's an attachment statement. It's this place of saying, if, if, if anyone's new life is, is the space of where, where they're attached to God, if they love me, then they'll keep my word. Because again, formation happens at the relational level. And, and when you delight in God, when you love him, when you enjoy him, when you seek after him just simply because you desire to be with him, well, then you will become what you behold. If you love me, you'll keep my word. It's really an if-then state, like because, uh, because a formation is taking place, because you were attached to God, then your character will change because your character, your identity is shaped by what you love. Shaped by what you love. So I hope what continues to happen amongst us is this, is that we are not interested in surface-level spirituality. Here we pray and hope that deep, under-the-surface-level worship is what's happening amongst us. And the continual work that we pray that the Spirit of God might be doing in our lives is that we are able to identify what and who our hearts are attached to. And if there is anything that is influencing our hearts and our emotions, we are going to bring that before the Spirit of God and we're going to ask, would you continue to change our attachments? Listen, contextually, this story of the widow, of the widow's offering is contrasted with religious leaders who love the praise of people, but her delight is with God. Both of these groups are fueled by relationship. They act a certain way because of what or who they love. Our hearts, our loves, our desires, our connections, those are the things that Jesus is seeking after. Change, discipleship, will happen at the relational level. And, and again, I just pray, again, not to stand up here and amongst you and just say, like, how dare you be a hypocrite? <laughs> but it's continued to encourage us to say, God, would you continue to help us to, to attach to you, to delight in you, to love you? Because left to ourselves, there is no way that we will ever be able to connect and find congruity between what we believe and how we live. But if we behold Jesus, if we delight in him, if, if he is constantly the one that we seek as our source of life, if he's the one that inspires and provokes and changes our imaginations and our minds, 
then we'll begin to see transformation happen amongst us. Change will happen at the relational level. What I'm going to do now is transition us to the, to the Lord's table. And in this space, I hope that we were reminded that, that it's not just all up to us. That, that he gives, he serves, he sacrifices. And then that's the space that we find life. He is good. He is good and he is for us. And so I think that that's the invitation where we find that, yes, it is this good and new attachment that we have because we have found that there is one that is like no other. He is the one that is worth attaching to. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrificial love. We thank you for the way that here at your table we are reminded just how deep your love is for us. You alone are worth surrendering our lives to. You alone are the one that we desire to be like. Father, may we continue to be a people that find joy, delight, rest in your embrace. May we be a people that just love to be in your presence. Lord, we really do desire to know you more, to behold you. And the space at this table is one more space for us, Lord, to draw near to you and just know your heart is kind. Lord, we love you. I say that in Jesus' name. So I'm going to invite those that are available to, to serve communion uh, to be up here. Let me give a little bit of instruction is that we'll... Um, We'll hold the bread there and, and the cup. And if you would just come forward and if you would take a, a piece of that bread and if you would dip it into the cup, and please do this just for the sake of everybody else, that as you dip into there, that you'd be mindful of how low your fingers go into that cup, um, that you would just, there would be the bread only uh, that would drop there into that cup. That would be greatly appreciated by everyone else. Um, Karen will be having uh, the gluten-free bread, so if that is a need or desire of yours, uh, she'll have that plate. Yes, that one there. And then there is um, a, a bowl here for those of you that would just uh, prefer to come and, and grab the communion elements and then just have them uh, at your seat or maybe with a spouse or uh, a friend there at your seat um, together. So uh, you can come forward as you would like.